Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for all that you've done and blessing this church and blessing this ministry for all those that you've brought together over a distance uh, to serve you and to worship you and to learn of you, uh, to walk with you. Uh, and Lord, I just ask that you would bless this message today, that you would open each heart and mind and spirit to your awesome, glorious and powerful word. I pray, Lord, that we would grow closer to you through it and that you would bless us with clarity and understanding and that you would bless us, bless us with wisdom for salvation uh, through your awesome word today. And we just lift up your name and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. So the title of the sermon today is Slaves to Righteousness. We're continuing in the book of Romans and it's Slaves to Righteousness. It's based on Romans 6, 15 through 23. Before I get into the verses, I just wanted to preface it a little bit with a couple questions, because what you're going to notice as we get into this is these verses without using the word free will, uh, they, they address the topic of free will. So regarding human free will, I just want you to consider these questions as we go into this message today, and they'll be addressed. Do we have free will? And do we make a decision for Christ according to our own free will? Just want you to consider those questions as we go into this message today. So first of all, let's if you guys have got your Bibles, open your Bibles to Romans 6. And let's read this portion of scripture for today. And it's Romans 6, starting in verse 15 through verse 23. You're going to see some similarities with last week's message as well. So Romans 6, 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know? that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's look at the beginning of this. So the scriptures I just read, sorry, I should have had those on the screen. I'm still getting used to this new system. Let's look at Romans 16, 15. What then? Are we to sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace by no means. So what we see here is Paul is continuing the argument for God's grace 
against antinomianism because he knew that there were those that were going to say, because we're saved by grace, because we're not under the law, we can sin and basically do whatever we want. He, he already anticipated that argument. And if you remember in verse 6, 1, he said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So now he's making the following point. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. So what Paul's trying to get across here is the reason we will not sin when we're in Jesus Christ is because sin becomes abhorrent to us. We're dead to it. It no longer masters us. It really has no control over us. And that's what I hope you guys will see as we go through this today. So let's look at verse uh, 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So let's look at the picture of what he's talking about. If you present your someone to anyone as an obedient slave, you are the slave of the one whom you obey. So are you obeying sin or are you or, or are you obeying God and seeking to serve him in his righteousness? The thing that people struggle with here is the word slave. Why do we have to use the word slave? And we'll get into that in a minute. But what I want you to take away from this is the fact that man is born to be a servant, and man must have a master. And that master will either be the prince of darkness or the king of light, one or the other. You cannot, or one or the other will be your ruler. You're either going to serve Satan or you're going to serve God. You're either going to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And what you're going to see as we move through this message today is there's really no middle ground. If you're not in Christ and serving him, you will be serving sin. You will be serving the prince of darkness. There is no middle ground in the world. You see, even though so much of the modern church tries to paint this gray area between the world and Christ, there is no gray area. Christianity is black and white. Christianity is exclusive. Christianity is intolerant. John 14, 6 makes that clear when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ just portrayed the exclusivity of the Christian message, of the Christian gospel. And really, he makes the claim, everything else is false that's outside of him. Let's look at verses uh, 17 through 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, that's important, from the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now notice Paul starts this portion of scripture. He says, but thanks be to God. So what Paul's doing here, obviously, is he's expressing gratitude to God. And he's showing that our response to the gospel, which he's referring to by stating the standard of teaching, 
is our re- is our right response, and it's by the grace of God. So we've got a little bit of a complicated thing to understand here. Thanks be to God, Paul's expressing gratitude, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. So this is a slavery that doesn't come through force. It comes through voluntary. It, come, it comes because of love from us to the Lord, to the standard of teaching. What's he referring to there? The gospel to which you were committed. So Paul's expressing gratitude, and he's showing that our response to the gospel is our right response, and it's by the grace of God. But he says, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He's talking about the gospel that brought the ones he's writing to, which is us, to belief and faith and trust and a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Now he says, I am speaking in human terms. Why does he say that? Because he's using the word slave and he wants people to understand. He doesn't want a a negative connotation or understanding of the word slave. So do not let the common understanding of the word slave confuse the truth of the blessing of being slaves to God in and through Jesus Christ. The Greek word for slave is doulos. And the definition of that is a slave, a bondman, a man of servile condition. Metaphorically, it's one who gives himself up to another's will and those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. That's how Strong's defines it. It means devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. And I think that's how we have to look at it as Christians. That's how we have to view that word doulos or slave or servant in our relationship to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's trying to explain. I think a picture of this, if you consider a way to to define biblically the way Christ would use the word slave, it would be from Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So to take a yoke, you would think that that would signify taking on a burden, something that was weighing us down, something that would drag us down. No, Christ is saying, take on my yoke, and it's easy, it's light, it's joyful. You see? It's not the slavery that we see through a modern understanding of that word. Something else to look at here in verse 19, where he says, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. What's he talking about there? Lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. What is sin? It's breaking the law of God. It's going against God, disobeying God, going against his law. What he's talking about here is the fact that sin begets more and worsening sin. Sin doesn't stagnate. If you participate in sin, if you're abiding in sin, if sin is your master, sin will I'm going to go to this next verse here from Matthew. I forgot to switch. I'm sorry. Sin will grow and it will begin to consume the person that it's growing within. You see, sin does not stagnate. It grows and it takes over the person. That's why Paul or that's why Christ warns about leaven. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. A little leaven will leaven the whole the whole lump of dough. 
Now, leaven is a fascinating metaphor that he uses because you can either have bad leaven that corrupts the whole lump of dough, or you can have good leaven, the gospel, which does what? Blesses the whole lump of dough. So he uses it in two different ways, but that's a a different teaching. But what he's getting across here is lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Sin begets more and worsening sin. What he's talking about here is a hardening may settle in and trap the soul in an endless pit of depravity. If someone resides in their sin, they abide in their sin, they do not respond to the gospel. The longer that someone's trapped in sin, the more powerful that sin becomes, and the more that person becomes hardened in sin. So there's less and less of a chance for that person to respond to the gospel call to salvation. They become harder and harder and harder in their sin. We've all seen individuals like this, especially, you know, being having a ministry called Recovery Reformation. You come across somebody that's been trapped in these sins for years, you see how lost they become and how hardened they become and how they reject the gospel just over and over and over. They want nothing to do with God. You see? So lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Now, one thing I want to talk about here is on a a personal note. And I think any Christian believer, if you're listening to this message, look back at your previous life, especially if you're one of those sinners that came out of uh, addiction or alcoholism or whatever sin it was, whatever depravity you were trapped in, Think of yourself then, and then think of yourself now. When I look back, I'm horrified at who I used to be. And what really fascinates me is the sins that grieve me now didn't even register then. What I mean by that is if I slip up and I sin now, it may be a sin that crushes me now, grieves me, drives me to the cross for forgiveness, because I know that I've sinned against a holy and perfect God who has saved me. If I look at the the previous Chad, the old man, before I was saved, when I was living in my sin and iniquity, that sin would have meant nothing. It would have been minuscule compared to just the standard of living that I was trapped in because I was so hardened in sin. So little sins now wouldn't have even meant anything back then. You see? That's one of the ways we know that we're growing in Christ because we may sin and it crushes us. We have so much remorse over it. And we want to repent of it so much. And then we look back and go, wow, this wouldn't have even bothered me 30 years ago or before I came to Christ. You see? Sins of before, the sins that I that really were so awful then are abhorrent and unimaginable to me now. I can't imagine of living the life now that I lived when I was out there drinking and using and being violent and everything else. You see, can't even comprehend that that's the same person. It's really not because I've been made a new creation in Christ. But you see what I'm saying? And I think any Christian who's truly saved, who has come from a history of of any kind of sinful history, and we've all come from that, it's fascinating Sometimes to look back and just look at the the growth that the Lord has blessed us with. But the point I really want to get across is, if you're a believer, never let yourself forget what your old person was like. 
You see, we don't want to dwell on the sin. We don't want to dwell on the past, but we also don't want to completely eliminate the fact that that past is what brought us to our present in Christ. You see, it's very important for us to understand that. Don't let your past hinder you, but also don't completely black it out. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things for the good of those that love him that are called according to his will and purpose. So what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is, if we look at who we used to be, we can see how God used even that evil, sinful lifestyle to bring us to him and then to use us in the way that he's going to use us in his service. And really, if we look back at who we used to be, what does it do? It builds humility. It helps us have more gratitude to God. It makes us more thankful. And it makes us more joyous. You see? It makes us more joyous. Because we have a contrast. Wow, look at what I was. Look at who I was. And now look at the new creation that he's made me. That's all because I'm in Jesus Christ. What a blessing that is. It also inspires us in the service of the Lord. Because we realize how blessed we are in Christ, we want to serve him more and more. See, this is where I'm starting to get to that biblical definition of slavery. I want to be a slave of Christ. It's not a burden. I don't want to serve anyone else or anything else. You see? Now you're starting to see the lesson in this. For me personally, I thank the Lord for the memory of the path of depravity that he saved me from. Because it helps me grow in him and it helps me to understand gratitude and thankfulness that I have because of him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Anybody that's been through a situation or had a transformation in their life like I just talked about knows exactly what I'm referring to. You see? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Like I was saying, uh, we understand what that is if we are truly in Christ and we see the transformation that he has worked in our lives. Um, another point I want to make, though, because I've been really referring to, I've talked about sinners who live in an obvious lifestyle of sin. Those that you can see are sinning. Drug addicts, alcoholics, fornicators, whatever it is. You see people who just live in the fast lane. They live according to the world. It's obvious to see that sin. But I want you to also consider that often the most obvious and destructive sinners are the ones whose transformations in Christ are the most seemingly profound and obvious. You see? Sometimes the most destructive sinners are the ones uh, whose transformations in Christ are the most seemingly profound and obvious. What do I mean by that? Sometimes if you've lived a life in which sin has really sought to destroy you, brought you to the brink of death, what does that do? What was I just referring to? What does it do on the other side when we come to Christ? We have tremendous gratitude. We have tremendous thankfulness. We have such joy in Christ. You see? It's amazing. I want to share from Scripture here, Luke 7, 41 through 47, so you can see what I'm talking about. Let's look at Luke 7, 41 through 47. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. 
Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but she who is forgiven little loves little. Paul, Christ is telling us that don't stay away from Christ. Don't reject the gospel because you think you are too far gone in sin. I see this all the time in the recovery thing. People actually think they have to get themselves cleaned up to come to Christ. I can't go to church. I can't consider uh, praying in the situation that I'm in. You see? No, that's not what it's all about. Christ, the only thing we can bring to the cross is our sin. You see? It's the only thing that we can bring. But the point I wanted to make here is that he is who, 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 who has been forgiven much is going to love much. But often there's sinners that we don't realize are totally trapped in sin, but it doesn't show outwardly. And sometimes those are the most to be pitied. See, I've talked a lot about visible sin, but what about those that are trapped in sins and they've just become masters at hiding that sin? Sometimes they are the most to be pitied. Why? Because people don't reach out to them as much. Beware if your sin is secret and if it's hidden, covered with a veneer of pious religion or self-righteousness. The hypocritical sinner may be so expert at deception that their sin quietly hardens them till the day of their death. These may be the victims of the modern church that entertains them, but never confronts them with the gospel so that they might turn from their sinful facade and seek forgiveness in Christ. This is one of the reasons that I constantly try to expose the dire condition of the modern church. How many sinners are sitting in church every Sunday and that church does not preach the gospel? So that person sits there dying in their secret sin putting on a, a facade of piousness and religiousness, religiosity, I guess you could say, self-righteousness, and people think, wow, that person is such a great Christian because of the way they act, but their heart is black and dead because they're still trapped in sin that only really they and God knows about. You see? That only they and God knows about. Carrie, just hold on to that question, and I'm going to answer questions uh, at the end of the sermon. So I'll, I'll hit that then. You, you weren't here at the beginning to hear that. Um, but it's something I really want you guys to think about. If someone is coming to church and they do not hear the gospel, the gospel is supposed to convict people of sin and ex help expose their sin. So the, what? So that they repent and come to Christ. If the gospel is neglected, how is that going to happen? You see? Something we really have to be concerned about. Let's continue forward and we'll look at verses um, 20 and 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So I want you to consider that the essence of free will is to choose according to our desires. 
the essence of free will is to choose according to our desires. I like that, so I'm going to choose it. It's what I desire. Your desire affects your choices. But Paul says you are free in regard to righteousness. So righteousness was not affecting our desires before we were in Christ. What that means is righteousness meant nothing. It had no influence or say in our lives. Ignorance and no concern for the will and the law of God. That's what Paul says when he says you were free in regard to righteousness. You were a slave to sin. That was your master. And you were totally free regarding righteousness because a concern for righteousness, the thought of righteousness, had no bearing on anything you did in life. You see? But what happens by the power of the Holy Spirit? Regeneration changes our desires so that we will freely repent and have faith unto salvation in Jesus Christ. We turn from rebellion against God to seeking him and his righteousness. That's why we talk about repenting. It's a complete 180, a complete turning around of who we are and going the opposite direction. And where he says, the fruit you were getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. He's talking about the fruit of sin. For the end of those things is death. Sin produces nothing of worth. There is nothing good produced by it. The fruit is bad and the wages are death. So Paul's given us these contrasts between sin and righteousness. Sin was leading us to death. Righteousness had no say-so over anything we did until we were born again and came to Christ. Let's look at verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So now we're starting to get to the point where we're going to start looking, answering this question of free will. Because I know this is something that comes up all the time, the subject of free will. But now that you have been set free from sin, so we were slaves to sin, now we're set free from sin. Now we've, instead of being slaves to sin, we're becoming slaves of God, and the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So instead of heading towards death in Christ, we're heading towards eternal life in him. You see? But notice that he says, um, you have been set free from sin. Not you will be, but you are. Those in Christ are set free from sin. And one thing about Christianity is obviously we're looking forward to what? The day of Christ's return. So we have our salvation already, but there's also a not yet. There's something that we are hoping for that we're looking forward to. But when it comes to being set free from sin, that's something that we're blessed with now. Paul's using the present tense here. We're no longer condemned. Our penalty was laid on Christ, and he paid the cost of that penalty on the cross. In Christ, your transgression is forgiven. Your sin is covered. We're free from the punishment of sin. You will never be cast into hell. God's justice is satisfied through Christ. We're free from the reigning power of sin. It's no longer in control. Its reign has been abolished. So we're no longer condemned. We're free from the punishment of sin. We're free from the reigning power of sin. So we've been set from sin, not in the future, but now. Paul's using the present tense. But he also continues, you have been set free from sin and have become what? Slaves of God. The unregenerate are never forced to faith 
and belief against their will. So now is where we start to address those questions from the beginning directly. Those who are not born again, those who are lost in their sins and trespasses, dead in their sins and trespasses, are never forced to faith and belief against their will. This is where it gets a little bit tricky and a little bit confusing. Their wills, their desires are changed without their knowledge or permission or control. Now, this is where human nature doesn't like this. You see, wait, something's happening outside of my control. But you'll start to understand that our wills, our desires are changed without our knowledge, without our permission, and beyond our control. But we are free to choose and do as we will, just as believers are free to do as we will. Wait a minute. But they are free to choose and do as they will, just as believers are free to do as we will. We make a decision to follow Christ according to our will. But what we're not realizing is that our will has already been changed by God in a way that we have no control over. That's what I'm trying to get to here. The thing we are not free to choose, the thing that must be done for us is the transformation of our nature. That's what I'm alluding to here. And this only comes about by the power of the Holy Spirit through the new birth. So when we're talking about free will, do humans have free will? You could say, yes, they do. But what we're going to see when I move forward in this is how do we uh, really define free will? That's, that's what we're going to start seeing that gets really interesting here. But what I want you to think about is the thing that we are not free to choose, the thing that must be done for us, is the transformation of our nature. Now, I want you to consider a progression here. Nature, desire, will, and choice. Our nature controls our desire. Our desire affects, controls our will, and our will affects our choices. If our nature is sinful and we're slaves to sin, our desire will be for sin, will be a slave to sin, will be against God and his righteousness. Our will will be affected by that. We will will for things that are sinful, and our choices will follow on that, and we will choose things that are sinful. If God changes our nature, and we start to have, and, 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 and he gives us a new heart, and our nature is a nature that's a slave to righteousness, what does that do? Changes our desire. Our desire is now for God, for his righteousness, instead of sin. It changes our will. We will to do things that are pleasing to God. What does that do for our choices? Our choices are choices that will be pleasing to God. So that's what I'm trying to get to. It all starts with our nature, and we have no control of our nature. That's why it says you are born again. God gives you a new nature. You are born again, regenerated from being dead in your sins and trespasses. What happens is we repent and choose Christ because we want to choose him. So we're doing something according to our will because we have a new nature and we're born again of the spirit. This is all by God's grace. It's all by God's grace. See, and the reason this is such an important topic is because people take these extreme views of it. The Armenian position is we make a choice for God because we make a choice for God. We're then born, we, we then believe, and because we believe, we're born again. 
That's a ridiculous argument because how does someone have any control over their birth? We believe because we're born again. It's a result of regeneration, not the cause of regeneration. But we do make a choice, but that choice follows on the regeneration that has already happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Ezekiel uh, 36, 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So consider the heart of stone is a heart of sin and the heart of flesh is a heart of righteousness and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. God causes us to follow him, to want Christ. You see? And he says, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now, this builds on the argument that I'm already making. Consider human free will in the context of the fruit that we get. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The fruit he's talking about is the fruit of our works as we serve Jesus Christ. We want to bear fruits for righteousness, right? Do we create those fruits? Do we even come up with the works? You see, look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, what? That we should walk in them. So the works that we do have already been prepared beforehand for us, by God, through Jesus Christ. So everything that we do in our service for the Lord, it's not like we think it up and do these great works, and then we can be proud of them. Everything we do that serves the cause of the gospel, that serves the cause of Jesus Christ, we do because he's already prepared those works beforehand for us. How amazing is that? That's fascinating. That speaks to God's omnipotence, God's omnipresence, God's sovereignty. All of it is encompassed in that teaching right there. It's fascinating. It's awesome. It seems by nature that we see human. Now, I want to delve a little bit deeper into human will here. It seems by nature, I'm talking about our natural born nature, that we see human will as independent of God's will. But what we see here is that there is no human will outside of God's will. By nature, humans are slaves to sin. That's how we're born, with a sinful desire. And our will is influenced and controlled by sin. Based on these truths, it seems clear that there is no such thing as sovereign, independent, human will outside of the will of God. And the reason this is so important to understand is because people that don't understand this teaching want to look at themselves as sovereign from God. There's God and there's me. There's God and there's humans, you see? And those that believe in the Arminian teaching will say, I come into God when I make a decision to do so. But what we don't understand is God is all-encompassing. Paul says in the book of Acts, in him we live and breathe and move and have our being, you see? So based on these truths, it seems clear there is no such thing as sovereign, independent human will outside of the will of God. 
However, God does not control us in the sense of determinism. This is where people go wrong. They think as soon as you start realizing that God has to change your nature, make you a new creation to believe in him, that we're now automatons. We don't have any will of our own. That's not how it is. That's called determinism. That's not what we're talking about. He blesses us by changing our hearts, which changes our desire so that we seek Christ. And when we are born again and brought to belief and faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we then become willing slaves to righteousness. You see? Hopefully you guys are starting to see this is a very complicated thing to try to get across, but it's so important to understand if you really want to grasp the truth of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon has a a quote regarding free will. He says, free will I have often heard of, but I have never seen it. I have met with will and plenty of it, but it has either been led captive by sin or held in blessed bonds of grace. So picture what he's saying. I have met with, he could say, human will and plenty of it, but it it has either been led captive by sin or held in blessed bondage, blessed bonds of grace. Really, simply what he's saying is you're either slave to sin, slave to righteousness. The same point that we've been making through this whole sermon. This is how I want you to think about this. It's something that I I think about a lot because I come across this this topic a lot. And I'm not just talking to Christians or unbelievers here. I'm talking to every human being. If you just take a, a person in general, man has no reference for sovereign free human will. Man has no reference for sovereign sovereign free human will. What does that mean? Man is not sovereign. Man never has been and never will be. We were created to serve and honor our sovereign creator. So the point I'm trying to make is any will that anyone has ever expressed, any choice that anyone has ever made has always been within the realm and the control of God. You can't escape God. The most God-hating, atheistic person, everything they do, every word they say, every breath they take, every everything they, they could po- po- possibly accomplish in their life is completely at, enclosed within the will of God. So you cannot think of human free will outside of the will of God. It's not possible. That's why I say there's no reference for human sovereign free will. Humans are not sovereign. We're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to righteousness. We're either in the we're either serving the devil or we're serving the Lord. It's just there's just two ways in life. You see? There is no sovereignty truly for humans. We need to be serving the Lord. Let's look at the last verse here, Romans 6.23. The things I'm talking about are an amazing blessing. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. If we continue in the way that we are naturally born, it will just lead us to death and destruction. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now look at how he words this. Death is wages earned by sin. We will be paid for what we do in this life. We will receive our wages. And if we are sinning, those wages will be paid to us. And those wages are eternal death and suffering 
away from the presence of God. But he, the opposite of that, eternal life is a free gift that's unearned and undeserved in and through faith in Jesus Christ. So just look at the contrast. The reason I'm hammering these points so much is because we don't want to get caught up on that word slave. People don't like to hear that because we want to tell ourselves we're sovereign. We want to tell ourselves that we make our own choices. And like I said, in a way we do because we have no other reference other than the reference that we have to exist within the sovereignty of God. You see? But what you got to understand is when you say you're a slave of Jesus Christ, you're a doulos of Jesus Christ, a bondservant, you wouldn't want anything else. If you're truly in Christ, you can't imagine wanting anything other than total servants, service and obedience to him because there's no good outside of him. Everything outside of Christ is death and destruction and darkness. So all good that we could ever desire is only in and through Jesus Christ, you see? So it's a willing servitude. It's not burdensome. It's a blessing. I'm going to close with Romans 6.11. It was part of last week's sermon. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin has no reign or power or control over us. We have died to it. it was, we've been crucified to that life. If we've come to Christ, we are alive in him. You see? We're alive in him. Let's close, close in prayer, and then I'll see if you guys have any questions. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. This message was very complex, and I ask that you would help us to meditate on your word and to spend more time in these scriptures in the coming week so that we can understand them more clearly and have a better grasp of the importance of the gospel and a true understanding of where we stand in you and the predicament of the human condition. And the only way out is through John fourteen six, because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Way Radio. You can find us on the web at the way, the letter R, 122.org. And if you'd like to email me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at chad at the way, the letter R, 122.org. Until next time, God bless.